Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by a special guest. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for coming. Great, uh, great privilege for me to be back here at Harvest uh, New Beginnings. I appreciate Pastor Scott inviting me to preach in his absence, and it's always a joy for me to renew fellowship with uh, my friend Mickey, and uh, you folks ought to be just so excited about how God's blessing the counseling ministry here and how it's offering help not just to members of your church, uh, but to others, and I would strongly urge you to take advantage of this training that's coming And uh, I know for me, when I receive this kind of training on how to use the Bible uh, to get answers for myself and for people that I care about, it changed my life, uh, my marriage, my family, and my ministry. Uh, You know, God gave us His Word. uh, The Bible is not a book of questions. The Bible is a book of answers. And for many of us, we just need some help on how you get those answers for the particular struggles that we're facing. And the kind of training that He was referring to uh, will help you with that. Well, this morning I'm speaking to you on the subject of uh, forgiveness uh, basics. And as we get started on this, I'd like to ask you to think for just a moment, who is the person in life that is the hardest for you to forgive? Or who is that person in life that just drives you nuts? And uh, <clears throat> even when they acknowledge some of the irritating things they do and want to make things right with you, it's just hard for you to respond to that person. Now, I want all of you to think about All of us have somebody like that. I do. And what I'd like you to do is to take your pen and to think of that person and on the back of your bulletin or maybe the back side of the notes, uh, write that person's initials down in the corner. And you probably ought to lean forward and put your hand over your, while you're writing because the people around you may be looking. But if you don't do that, you'll get, the more, you'll get the most out of the message if you will do that. But if you don't do that, at least have that person's mind. How many of you have identified that person? And how many of the rest of you aren't willing to admit there is somebody in your life like that? All right. Okay. Well, we're talking on the subject this morning of forgiveness basics. This is a very important subject and one that deserves very careful thinking as a Christian. And there are at least five reasons why I urge you to listen well and to consider doing some reading and studying on this subject later. First of all, this is an important subject because man's greatest need is forgiveness. Without forgiveness, every one of us is doomed to eternity apart from God in the lake of fire, which the Bible calls hell. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death, not just physical death, but spiritual death, eternity apart from God. Revelation 20 verse 15 says, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Man's greatest need is forgiveness. A second reason why this is an important subject is because forgiveness is absolutely necessary for salvation. Good works, your good works, regardless of how morally good you might view yourself to be, are not enough to get you into heaven. Colossians 2.13 says, and when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made, us, uh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our transgressions. Uh, forgiveness is absolutely necessary for salvation. A third reason why this is an important subject that merits very careful attention is because Christ followers, 
commonly called Christians, Christ followers, are commanded to forgive others in the same way that God has forgiven us. Ephesians 4.32 says that we're to be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has forgiven you. And I want to say to all of you that the model for forgiveness, the model on how you and I are to think about forgiveness and how and when we're to grant forgiveness is not your grandma. The model for forgiveness is not your favorite pastor or Christian leader who modeled forgiveness for you in a way that you thought commendable. The model for forgiveness is how God in heaven has dealt with your sin and mine and we're to think about how did he deal with it, how, when, and where, under what circumstances does he grant forgiveness, and then we are to forgive others in the same way that he has forgiven us. A fourth reason why this is an important uh, subject is because seeking and granting forgiveness is a prerequisite to mutual love, the strongest argument for the Christian faith. In John chapter 13, Jesus Christ is in his last formal teaching time with his disciples before he's betrayed and then crucified. And in his parting words to them, he says, by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Isn't it it significant? That Christ would say that we are, people will know we are followers of him, not by how many times we read our Bible every week, not by how many verses we've memorized, not by how many church services we attend, not by how much money we give, but he said, people will know you are a disciple of mine by how you get along with other people who say they are disciples of mine. Seeking and granting forgiveness is a prerequisite to mutual love the strongest argument for the Christian faith. The fifth reason why this subject merits very careful consideration is because unreconciled relationships between Christians hinders evangelism and robs churches of a positive community witness. In one of my previous jobs where I served the churches of Indiana, I discovered very quickly that in churches where there is internal strife and the members are at each other and there's not harmony and there's, there's discord, when a congregation is having discord, evangelism is out the window. And forgiveness is critical because forgiveness is the oil that keeps the machinery of human relationships running smoothly. You think about a combustion engine, if you take the oil out of it and you try to start it and run it, what happens? It burns up. And the same thing happens in our human relationships. In your relationships, if your relationships are burning up, it's because there's not being a confession of sin and a seeking of forgiveness. Forgiveness is the oil that keeps the machinery of human relationships running. An unreconciled relationship between Christians hinders evangelism and robs churches of a positive community witness. That's why this subject this morning is so important. Let's talk about a moment about what biblical forgiveness is not. I have found that there is tremendous misunderstanding among many followers of Christ today on what biblical forgiveness is and what it is not. Let me address what it's not. And I'm going to invite you to take your Bible and open with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17 verses 3 to 10 is one of the major passages in the scripture that deals with the subject of forgiveness. And uh, when you think about the subject of forgiveness, you ought to think about Luke 17, 3 to 10, Matthew 18, 21 to 35, maybe Ephesians 4, 32. But this is certainly a key one. And from this passage, we can see three areas, what biblical forgiveness is not. 
I want you to notice, first of all, that this teaches that biblical forgiveness is not a feeling. Biblical forgiveness is not a feeling. We know that because this passage teaches that forgiveness is to be granted when a sinner repents, regardless of how you feel at the time. Forgiveness is to be granted when a sinner repents, regardless of how you feel at the time. Luke 17, 3 says, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Uh, We're to grant forgiveness when a person repents. It's not a, it's not a uh, feeling. Um, you notice in your scripture that there's no parenthesis after Luke 17, 3 that says, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him, parenthesis, unless you're just tired of him doing this, and you don't feel like it. There's no parenthesis. Biblical forgiveness is not a feeling. Further, the scriptures are saying that forgiveness is to be granted repeatedly on the same day if a sinner repeatedly professes repentance. This is the second reason why forgiveness is not not a feeling. Forgiveness is to be granted repeatedly on the same day if a sinner repeatedly professes repentance. This is something that none of us would feel like doing. Luke 17, 4 says, if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times saying, I repent, forgive him. Now, let's just think about that in a, maybe a specific way. Uh, last night, um, Bob and Nancy uh, met me and helped me to unload uh, the books from the car and set up the display out here. And this didn't happen, but just think about what it would be like if if this had happened, uh, Bob has helped me to carry in the, the boxes and we're moving them around and everything. And let's say that as we're moving some things around, I go by him and I step on his toes. And I say, oh, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Being the good, nice, godly man he is, I'm sure he'd have said, that's all right, forget it. And then we're moving some other things around the tables and so forth. And I go and by him again and I step on his toes one more time. And I say, oh, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Being the godly man he is, I'm sure he'd said, that's all right, forget it. And then, uh, you know, 10, 15 minutes later, I go by him again, and I step on his toes again, and I say, oh, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Being the godly man he is, I'm sure he would have said, that's all right, forget it. Now, if the characters in that story were turned around, and you stepped on my toes three times in the last hour, a couple things are happening to me. (laughs) The way I'm wired. Number one, my blood pressure is going up. And number two, it's getting real hard for me to think you mean it when you say, oh, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Right? Say right. Absolutely. But the point is, it's not if a person sins against you in the same way on the same day three times. He's saying if they just do it over and over and over again. And the point is, even if he sins against you seven times on the same day, for goodness sake. But seven times say, oh, I'm sorry, please forgive me. We are to forgive. And the point is, you don't do that because you feel like it. Biblical forgiveness is not a feeling. Now, the third reason why we know that forgiveness is not a a feeling Because the scripture teaches that forgiveness and a willingness to forgive at its root is a matter of obedience for a Christian. In Luke uh, 17 verses 5 and 6, 
uh, the, the says the scripture, the apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. Now what that means is they understood exactly what Jesus was saying. They're saying increase our faith. And we would have said, I mean, give me a break or, or you got to be kidding. How we would have responded in our culture. They said, increase our faith. And the Lord said to them, if you had faith like a mustard seed, which is very, very small, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. The point of Christ's comments are the key to forgiving. He said to the disciples, you don't need to be stronger in order to forgive biblically. You don't need to be stronger spiritually. You don't need to be stronger spiritually in order to follow the biblical commands on forgiving. In order to prove that point, Jesus Christ launches into an extended metaphor. Here's what he says. He says to the disciples and to you and me through his word today, he says, which one of you having a slave plowing or tending sheep will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat. But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me until I have eaten and drunk and afterwards you will eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? Look at this. So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We've done only that which we ought to have done. Forgiveness at at its root is a matter of obedience. It is not a feeling. And as bondservants of Christ, that's how we as Christians should view ourselves, when you forgive somebody, even when it's really hard to forgive, when you're walking away, this verse is teaching us, don't be patting yourself on the back and saying, man, what a wonderful Christian I am. I mean, look at what I just did. No, when we forgive, including when it's really hard to forgive, our attitude should be, no big deal. I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do as a bondservant of Christ. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Second, I want you to understand that biblical forgiveness is not forgetting. Biblical forgiveness is not forgetting. There is no command in the Bible telling us to forget before we forgive. Further, there is no scriptural support for the statement If you haven't forgotten, you haven't forgiven. Many people misunderstand that. There is no scriptural support for the statement that if you haven't forgotten, you haven't forgiven. Forgetting is a frequent byproduct of granting forgiveness, but not always. In just a moment, we're going to get to another part of the outline, and I'm going to show you that biblical forgiveness, patterned after how God forgives us, is basically a promise that has three aspects. So when you say to somebody, I forgive you, you are making a promise. And you can choose to make the promise, and you can choose to keep your promise, keep your word. What I want you to understand right now is this. Forgiving, choosing to forgive is active. Forgetting is passive. You can't choose to forget. Let me, um, let me see if I can illustrate it this way and, and work with me now. Uh, all of you, think about snakes. How many of you are thinking about snakes? All right, thank you. Now, everybody... 
forget snakes. What are you thinking about? Here's the point. Forgetting is passive. You can't choose to forget. But you can choose to forgive. You can choose to say to somebody, I forgive you, and keep the three aspects of what that means. And here's what I want you to understand. Out of love for Christ and love for his word and obedience to him, when we choose to forgive and we keep our word, and as time goes by, you know what tends to happen? By God's grace, we can forget a ton of crud, a ton of hurt that has happened to us in the past. But the forgetting is a byproduct of making the commitment to forgive and keeping your word. So, there is no command telling us to forgive. Now, some people have said, well, the Bible says God forgets, forgets our sin. No, it doesn't. References to God forgetting are statements of God promising not to remember our sins against us. Verses like 43, Isaiah 43, 25 says, uh, God is speaking, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Or maybe Jeremiah 31, 34 is what some of you would be thinking of when you think, well, God forgets my sin. No, he doesn't. He says in Jeremiah 31, he says, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Notice in both of those, he doesn't say he forgets. He just says, I choose to remember no more. Uh, If you think that God is part of the process of forgiving your sins, actually forgets your sin, I want to say to you, you've got a major theological problem on your hand. And the theological problem is this. God is described in the scripture as omniscient. He is all-knowing. How can an all-knowing God forget? He doesn't forget. He chooses to remember no more. You know, the, <clears throat> some of you have heard the, the, the phrase uh, anthropomorphic expressions. An anthropomorphic expression is something that in the Bible that is used to describe the infinite God of heaven who is so far beyond our puny minds and our abilities to understand all that he is and all his ways and so forth. And the infinite God of heaven kind of comes down to our level at times and talks in terms that we can understand. This is one of them. God is saying, when he forgives, he says, I choose to remember no more. Or in other places in the Bible, it says that God takes our sin and puts it in the bottom of the sea. Or in another place in the Bible, it says God takes our sin, puts it as far as the east is from the west. Here's one of my favorite anthropomorphic expressions. This is from Isaiah chapter 38, verse 17. This is in King Hezekiah. He's he's just pleaded with God to extend his life and to heal him. And God has answered that request. And King Hezekiah is just praising God for his greatness and his power and all of his attributes. And in part of his prayer, King Hezekiah praises God by saying, he says, For you have cast all my sins behind your back. Isn't that wonderful? The point is, biblical forgiveness is not forgetting. Well, we're talking about what biblical forgiveness is not. It's not a feeling. It's not forgetting. Neither is biblical forgiveness excusing sin. Excusing sin is a form of minimizing sin, of not taking sin seriously. 
We blame it on a person's background or their current circumstances or something that was done to them horribly as if something that was done to them badly justifies their sinful thinking, sinful behavior today. Excusing sin is calling sin something than other what God calls it. And don't think that you're being loving when you excuse sin, either in your children, your spouse, or your loved ones. Well, if that's what biblical forgiveness is not, if it's not a feeling, if it's not forgetting, if it's not excusing sin, then what is it? Well, here's a definition for you. Biblical forgiveness is a lifting of the charge of guilt from another, a formal declaration of that fact, and a promise both made and kept never to remember the wrong against him in the future. Or another way of putting it is this, to forgive has the basic idea of a choosing to pass over an offense and free the offender from the guilt of it. It's a lifting of the charge of guilt from another, a formal declaration of that fact, promise both made and kept never to remember the wrong against him in the future, or basically means to pass over an offense and free the offender from the guilt of it. Let me illustrate it this way. Let's pretend that this microphone head represents a head, uh, excuse me, a sin, and here you are, you're just going through life, minding your own business, doing what you're supposed to be doing, and somebody just out of wicked motivations on their part sins against you. If you choose to act forgiving, it has the concept that you come up against that offense and you choose to pass over the offense, you go on your way, and you let them go on their way. That's the kind of the root meaning of it. Illustrate it this way. Let's, uh, Let's pretend that on the way home or to the, on the way to the restaurant after the service, you're having a good energetic conversation in the car, hopefully about what you learned in the, the message today and how it spoke to you, and uh, not maybe paying attention to your driving quite the way you should. All of a sudden, you hear a strange noise, look in the rearview mirror, flashing lights. You pull over, city policeman informs you that uh, you didn't drop your speed when you pulled into town, and uh, you're speeding. Now, <clears throat> He chooses to give you a warning ticket. Maybe it's because he sees the stack of Bibles on the dashboard of the car, or he sees the kids in the backseat clapping because they're happy to see a policeman talking to daddy or something. But for whatever reason, he chooses to give you a warning ticket. He came up against your offense, could have nailed you for what you've done. You deserved it. But in coming up to your offense and giving you a warning ticket, in a very real sense, he has acted forgiving. He's passing over your offense. He's going on his way and thankfully letting you go on your way. That's what it means to forgive. Or another way of putting it means when we say to somebody we forgive them, we're giving up your right to revenge. Or as I said a moment ago, it is basically a promise that has these three aspects. And I'd urge you to consider memorizing this definition. When you say to somebody, I forgive you, it means I will not use this against you in the future. It means I will not talk to others about it to use this against you in the future. And it means I will not dwell on it myself. Now let's just review those quickly. Biblical forgiveness is a promise and modeled after how God deals with our sin and his promises to us. When I say to somebody, when you say to somebody, I forgive you, we're making a promise. First of all, I will not use this against you in the future. That means you cannot bring it up again to use it in a punitive, make you pay for what you did type fashion. It does not mean that you can't bring it up again for the purpose of trying to wring all the good we can out of that hurtful event. 
It can be brought up in a redemptive way and used in a redemptive manner and an edifying manner, but it cannot be used in a punitive uh, fashion. Second, when you say to somebody, I forgive you, that means you can't be talking to other people about it to use it against that person. Because then it's gossip and slander, and you'll need to repent of that sin and ask God's forgiveness and that person's forgiveness and the person against whom you made a promise and didn't keep your promise. Now, it does not mean that you can't talk to somebody else to use it in a redemptive way. For example, over the years, uh, I've done a few thousand hours of biblical counseling. Over half of it has been marital counseling. And over the years, I've had, you know, dozens or hundreds of cases where I've had a couple come in, and I'm meeting them for the first time. They're professing Christians, and before they ever sit down across from me, there's been horrible sin in the past, maybe adultery or something else that has caused great heartache in their relationships, but they knew enough about the Bible that they repented. They asked God to forgive them. They asked each other to forgive them, and there was confession of sin and requesting forgiveness, and forgiveness was granted. And they're sitting in front of me, right? The fact that they've confessed sin to each other and asked for forgiveness and received forgiveness does not mean we can't talk about it again. But it has to be talked about in a redemptive way where we're, again, I'm trying to use we're trying to wring all the good we can out of that hard event from the past. And that's why I would say to some of you, if you're struggling with some of the same issues in your family or in your personal life, and there's struggles in relationships where you've confessed to people and you've, you've tried to get things patched up, but things just aren't working, I would exhort you, make an appointment with one of the, the trained biblical counselors here. And tell them about what's happened. Even if you've confessed and sought forgiveness and received forgiveness, if you're not getting lasting solutions, let them help you wring all the good out of that. The point is, you can use it in a redemptive way. You can't use it in a punitive, you know, make you pay for what you did type fashion. And then number three, when we say to somebody, I forgive you, that means I will not dwell on it uh, myself. Uh, <clears throat> That means that when your mind tends to drift toward that hurt that was caused uh, by others, that you will take steps quickly to get your mind off of it and on to something else. All right, let's move on in our outline. Here's a sticky question. When do you grant forgiveness? When do you grant forgiveness? And this is an area where there's a bit of difference among uh, biblical uh, Christians and Christian leaders. And uh, I'm going to tell you what I understand, what I've studied the scriptures led me to conclude. The question is, when do you grant forgiveness? When do you announce forgiveness to somebody? Here's a scripture that I have found very, very helpful on this, and I would urge you to consider underlining this verse in your Bible. And if you're going to memorize one verse from this message today to meditate on, this would be the one I would encourage you to, to pay attention to particularly. Luke 17.3 says, be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Now, let's take that verse apart carefully. When Jesus said, be on your guard, he basically was exhorting them. The the phrase we would use today is, hey, heads up. All right? Pay attention to this. Then he says, if your brother sins, that means he's talking about Christians and how we deal with offenses caused by other Christians. Listen to me, this is not a verse, this is not the pattern if you're a follower of Christ in how you deal when non-believers sin against you. 
A lot of heartache and confusion has been created when Christians have tried to use the ground rules, the expectations of Christians with Christians, and they try to apply it to non-believers. Non-believers are by living by a different playbook than we are. And you cannot expect them to live by the teachings of Christ. This is Christians with Christians. In fact, I would say that if a non-believer sins against you, the category of thought you ought to be in is not what does the Bible teach about forgiveness. The category of thought you ought to be in is what does the Bible teach about handling trials and suffering in a way that pleases God, not forgiveness. So we're talking about how Christians are to be dealing with Christians. So if your brother Christian, the brother or sister Christian sins, and the other, uh, other passages will lead us to understand that this is more of a flagrant sin. This is not more of the kind of what I would call incidental sins that just take place as Christians who are trying to do what's right. We just inevitably sin along the way. But these are more flagrant, more hurtful, maybe more persistent sins. If your brother sins in that way, rebuke him. The word rebuke basically means is that you talk to the person in such a way that you communicate clearly that you think you were sinned against by them at a particular time and event and so forth. And you communicate in such a way that when the conversation's over, they know they've been talked to about that. It's what I would call a straight-up conversation, all right? You don't have to raise your voice. doesn't have to be a real long conversation, but it means that you bring it to their attention in such a way they know you think they sinned against you and that they need to ask God to forgive them for that and ask you to forgive them for that. And then he says, you bring it to their attention And then he says, if he repents, the word repent means to have a change of thinking that leads to a change of behavior. To repent means to have a change of thinking that leads to a change of behavior. And if he repents, that is, he changes his thinking about what he said, what he did, how she acted and so forth, then, and they humble themselves, ask God's forgiveness, ask your forgiveness, then you grant forgiveness. So the question is, when do we forgive? The answer is, when there is repentance. That means, the Scripture's teaching, that we're not to just be going around telling people, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. Years ago when I was a pastor, um, we had a, a large group of our people attended a, a wonderful Bible training conference that was in our, in our community. And uh, on the following Sunday night, we had a, a service, and we opened it up just for people to, to review some of the things we've been taught and many, many hours of teaching and everything. And we had a relatively new guy attending the church. And um, I'll never forget, at one point during the testimony time, he stood up and he said he'd never been to a conference like that before. He really learned a lot and was convicted about a lot of things in his life. And he, before he sat down, he said, I want you to know that the teaching on forgiveness was all new to me, and I want you to know I forgive you and I forgive you, and I forgive you. And those people, is he talking about me? They had no idea. That was wrong. You go and you talk to the people. None of this general blanket forgiveness. Let me illustrate it this way. Here's the way it's supposed to work among us. You're going through life, minding your own business. Somebody sins against you. It's a significant issue, flagrant, blatant, very hurtful. So you examine yourself. You think, okay, what did I do that may have encouraged that kind of response? Or what have I done that would, anything I've done that would prompt them to act like that? There's self-examination. We try to take the log out of our own eye before we try to take the speck out of somebody else's eye. 
And then there needs to be a willingness to, to forgive. And this is what I'm going to call dispositional forgiveness. You know, a disposition refers to a person's bent. We would say about some people, they're, they're just such a happy person. That means in their disposition, they're just bent toward being happy. Or we talk about other people and say, he's so angry all the time. That means he has a disposition toward being angry, okay? What God is saying to you and me as Christians is, is that we should be bent toward forgiving. Is that clear? That's what he means. So we, after we've been sinned against, the pain is there. Part of what we've got to work on is I've got to get my mind heart right so I'm, I'm ready to forgive. The person doesn't come and talk to us, so after a few days or maybe a week or so, we go and talk to them. We bring it to their attention so that they know clearly that I think I was sinned against by you at this particular time. And I think what you need to do is ask God to forgive you for that. And I think what you need to do, you need to ask me to forgive you because you sinned against me. And let's say that when you do that, the person humbles themselves and they say, you know, I had no idea that... When I speak like that, I know I get angry at times. I had no idea how hurtful my words were. And they say, please forgive me. I'm so sorry. I got to work on this. And they ask God to forgive them. And they ask you to forgive them. And you respond by that, by granting forgiveness. And the relationship is restored. Brothers and sisters, this is the way it's supposed to be in your marriage. This is the way it's to be in your parent-child relationships. This is the way it's to be with your Christian co-workers. This is the way it's supposed to be with others that are part of your church family or your small group and so forth. This is the oil that keeps human relationships running, where we're caring enough to talk to each other, not about each other to other people, but we're talking to each other about the areas that need to be changed and so forth. Well, we know it always doesn't work that way, so let's think about it from another perspective. There's an, uh, an offense, self-examination. You work at your heart, get yourself ready to forgive. You go and talk to the person. But let's say that this time the person does not repent. In fact, they add to the pain. They say hurtful things like, who in the world appointed you, Holy Spirit? And get off your spiritual high horse. And you're nobody, you're nobody to be telling me what to do. And anyhow, they respond in such a way that in a sense just heaps the pain on top of the pain. And they don't ask for forgiveness. What do you do then? Well, you got to examine yourself again. Were my words right? Was I humble? Uh, what should I have done differently, if anything? And then you've got to work on your willingness to forgive. And for some of you, working on that willingness to forgive may be something you're going to have to hold on to for three or four days before they call you. For some of you, maybe three months. For some of you, maybe three years. And for some of you, you're going to have to work on that until you die because they're never going to ask your forgiveness. But the point is, we're to prepare our hearts so that when that phone call comes, when they come by the house, when they want to talk to us, we're ready to forgive. That's transactional forgiveness, not just the disposition. We're trying to answer the question, when should we forgive? The answer is when there's repentance. The second answer is when should we forgive? We should forgive every time there's a profession of repentance. Notice this. We forgive every time there's a profession of repentance. Notice it doesn't say that we forgive when there's fruit of repentance. You're familiar with these famous verses from Matthew, aren't you? 
Matthew 18, 21 records that Peter came and said to Christ, Lord, how often should my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Seven times was more than twice the going rate on forgiveness that was being taught back in that day and time. Back in that day and time, the Pharisees taught that somebody sins against you in the same way on the same day, you forgive up to three times. Peter has more than doubled the going rate on forgiveness among religious people. I think he's trying to put himself forward as the, you know, the best disciple. And he says, how often should a guy like me forgive? Up to seven times? More than twice what these other guys would? And Christ said to him, no, I don't say up to you to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. 490 times, meaning we just go on and on and on and on being willing to forgive. Every time there's a profession of repentance. Well, let's head toward our closing thoughts with talking about some forgiveness distinctives. There's five things I'd like to conclude with. First of all, the Bible addresses both judicial forgiveness and parental forgiveness. Judicial forgiveness is the kind of forgiveness that we experience when we're saved. This is a once in a time, once in a lifetime type forgiveness. Parental forgiveness is the kind of forgiveness that once we're in the family of God, once we're Christians, there is an ongoing forgiveness. For example, Colossians 3.13 or First uh, John 1, 9 that talks about that kind of forgiveness. And I just would encourage you as you're reading the Bible and it talks about forgiveness to distinguish, is this passage talking about judicial forgiveness or is this talking about parental forgiveness? Second, forgiveness for our sins is available, but it is not automatic. Some of you may be here today and you've heard that the God of the Bible is a forgiving God and you're aware that you need to be forgiven. And while he is a forgiving God, he has a disposition toward forgiveness. His forgiveness is not automatic. It requires for you to repent and to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. And I would exhort you to do that. Romans 10 verses 9 and 10 says that if you want to be forgiven of your sins, that you must confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead. And then you will be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness. And with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. Forgiveness is available, but it's not automatic. See, I'd like you to, to remember that forgiven people, that is Christians, need ongoing forgiveness. This is what I was referring to a moment ago when I called it parental forgiveness. Forgiven people need ongoing forgiveness. First John 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Fourth, God expects forgiven people to be a forgiving people. God expects forgiven people to be a forgiving people. This is clearly seen in Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35, where Christ tells the story about a rich, about a king uh, forgiving the, the loan of a man that in the amount forgiven was millions and millions of dollars. But that same man went out and refused to forgive a man who owed him a few hundred dollars and had the man thrown into jail. That story concludes with this conclusion. Christ says, and as he's telling the story, he says, then summoning him, his Lord, the king said to him, you wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave? 
in the same way that I had mercy on you. And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly father will also do to you, do the same to you. If each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. The point is forgiven people are expected to be a forgiving people. And then finally, forgiving people choose to focus on how much they have been forgiven rather than on how much they have been sinned against. Have you noticed the logo in my slide? Focusing on the cross of Jesus Christ and how much he forgave me helps me and you to have a heart that's soft toward forgiving those who've sinned against us. And for some of you who've been living with bitterness and unresolved hurt for years and years of maybe mistreatment and there's deep wounds, I just want to say to you, if you're a follower of Christ, the solution starts with focusing on how much you've been forgiven, which in the story Christ told is like millions And about the worst that another slave can do against a fellow slave is just hundreds compared to how much we've been forgiven. In conclusion, I would exhort you to think about that person whose initials you wrote down or that person who you identified in your thinking that you have the hardest time forgiving. And the key for forgiveness with them is not by focusing on where they need to change or how much they've hurt you. The key to forgiving is if you're a follower of Christ, is thinking about how much you have been forgiven. And consider the role that forgiveness should play in your life. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning, or would like more information about Harvest New Beginnings, visit at harvest.church.